Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Church Online. Welcome, welcome. You made it. You're here. Thank you so much. I'm gathered today with a few of my closest friends and my amazing wife to, to, to bring you the Word of God. It's always a, a privilege, a high honor that we consider it uh, just, a, just a wonderful thing for us to be able to share this time with you. So right there on the chat, if you wouldn't mind, let us know who you are. Let us know where you're watching from. It's always a great thing to see how far this message is able to get out. And it encourages us and blesses us when you do that. Don't forget to click that share button. That means a lot. Um, when you share our, uh, our, our hard work with your social media influence and with your world, um, that's a big deal to us. Also want to say thank you to those of you who are supporting us financially, faithfully. It's a big deal. So thank you for that. If you're interested in supporting this ministry, highridgelv.com slash give is the best way to do that. And just, I want, I want to thank you in advance for those of you that are supporting us uh, faithfully. It, it means a lot to us. So, so thank you. appreciate that. Uh, Ephesians 6 is where we're going to get started today. I'm going to move from there to James chapter 4. Ephesians 6, James 4, as we continue on with our series called Fight For Me. So type that in the chat if you would. Fight For Me. It's all about how we relate to each other. And uh, my hope is to get families to start fighting for each other instead of against each other. Because this is what we do more often than not. We will fight each other rather than fighting together. And so uh, I want to give you um, eight practical ways. This is the most practical message I've ever brought, uh, as far as I know, uh, to, to help, fa- help families to be able to, to think of ways and, and things that they maybe haven't done that they've neglected that will help them to fight the battle that God has called us to fight as a family. And so this is critical. This is important to the health of your family. And I believe this is really going to help you if you'll tune in and check this out. I want to invite you to fight for your family. And so uh, whether you're, uh, if you're single, um, you're, you're training for a fight that you're not in yet. So this is going to be good for you. If you're single again, then let's build this thing right uh, the, the, this next time. Let's, let's not make the same mistakes we did before, but let's, let's build our families God's way. Here's what I want to make sure that you understand and that I'll, I'll open it up with this. Uh, great families are built. They're built. They're not just wished for. It's not just hoped for. They're built. It's going to take hard work. It takes decisions. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow with an amazing family. Uh, That's not the way it happens. Uh, God doesn't just bless people with amazing families. They're built. When you build your life on the authority of God's word, then God blesses. Okay, so this is important. Great families are built, and it's never too late or too early to build. It's never too late. You can do this. So don't just say, well, my kids are are grown now and they, <laughs> they've made their mistake. You can do this. Uh, you absolutely can do this. These are spiritual principles that God wants applied to every family as we build them and do it God's way. And so in Ephesians chapter six, I want to just read this. Uh, many of you have maybe seen this scripture uh, a million times, but I want to show it to you in a different context today. And it says this starting in verse 10. Finally, or in other words, this is my final point. This is the most important thing. Check this out. Give a lot of credence to this. This is important. Finally, my brothers, he says, be strong. That word means be empowered. God wants to empower you to this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I want to make sure that before we go any farther today, you have to get this at the center of your family. The enemy has a scheme. He has a scheme. He has a method of operating. He has a battle plan. And if you don't believe that, you've already lost that battle. There is a plan for the destruction of your family. And Paul says, be strong in the Lord so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting each other. You're not fighting a person. He says this, our struggle is against authorities, against rulers, 
against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms, this is important. Now, he says, because of all that, or therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I want to make sure that you see it says put on the full armor of God. That's an, that's an important word, the full. I think many of us put on some armor, not the full armor. And he says, uh, when the day of evil comes. So this is not just uh, some, some part of life that has its ups and downs. I said, there's an evil day. There's, there's evil. There's, there's de- the devil's schemes and evil. And when that day comes, you're gonna have to be able to take your stand. So put on the full armor of God. In addition to all this, take up that shield of faith. We talked about that last week, yeah. with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it says, pray in the spirit. Many Christians still don't do that. Or we've said, oh, that was, that was for back then. That's not for today. No, Paul is very, very clear that this is an important part of the full armor of God. It says, pray in the spirit. He says, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer and requests. So it's not just prayer. And it's not just telling God what you need. This praying in the spirit is an, is an added part of the importance of, of putting on the full armor of God. It says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Stand your guard, he says, and not just for yourself, but for the other people of God. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it speaks to us today. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and bless and help every single family that is struggling right now. There are many people, Lord, that have, uh, that have children that have turned away from God. We have grandchildren that we're worried about and, prayed and praying about. Lord, I pray that right now you'd give us your word to help us to understand how to take a stand against the evil one, how to Satan-proof our marriages, our families, our legacy in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. amen. Man, I'm so glad you tuned in today. This is gonna be good. You know, uh, I, I never really understood spiritual warfare. Uh, I, I'd heard that talked about in churches growing up. I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, my dad is a, as a pastor, a retired pastor now, but um, I, I never really understood spiritual warfare. We would talk about that a lot of times in church services, but it never really clicked in my mind what that was, or that was some kind of, you know, like Lord of the Rings world going on in, in the background or something that, that was kind of mystical to me. I never really had a good understanding of what we were up against as a family of believers until one day we were getting ready to, um, to go to school. And I remember uh, that as I opened up uh, the front door to our home, getting ready to walk outside and to go catch the bus, um, at the ground at my feet in, on our front porch was a pentagram drawn in blood. And I'm not kidding. And so it freaks me out because I didn't recognize what this symbol was, but it, here's a five-pointed star that has uh, this circle around it in blood on our front porch and there were various animals at each point of the star and then the animals had been disemboweled and I'm not kidding, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this. There are people that were there that, in my family that have seen this and, uh, and their organs were laid out in all these kind of strange different manners. Someone had painted uh, an animal blood across our, our doorpost, um, obviously putting some sort of witchcraft and some kind of uh, uh, curse or hex on us or something like that. Um, I had no idea what this was. 
And so when I began to step out in the front porch, I almost stepped on these dead animals. There's a squirrel, there's a rabbit, there's a, a, like a crow and all these animals had, you know, their guts laying everywhere. I mean, it's, it's sick. Someone was obviously very intentional about putting a curse on, a, on our family. And uh, I had no idea what spiritual warfare was until that moment when things became very real to me that our battle is against flesh and blood. But there's a very real demonic force that does not want the gospel going out into this city, that does not want Christianity, that doesn't want to see people get set free, that doesn't want to see God's will be done, that w- doesn't want to see the kingdom of heaven come, that doesn't want to see people walking in the fullness of the knowledge and the relationship with Jesus. There's a very real opposition to that. And so to this moment of my life, it had only been something that I thought about, but never really seen. But I want to make sure that you understand this. The enemy is real. There's a very real enemy of your soul. There is a very real attack upon your family. And you have to come to that realization that it's not a joke. It's not something that you play with. And Paul is very clear when he writes this, he's not just writing this to to all believers, but notice this in Ephesians 6 and in Ephesians 5, if you go back, he's writing this to families. These are rules for Christian households. He talks about fathers and mothers. He talks about children. He talks about our relationships with people, but this is all done around the context of family. And this is something I think a lot of believers haven't really understood as they're reading Ephesians 6. It's it's written for the family. So look at this, uh, back up at the beginning of this chapter, it says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And some of you are like, Absolutely, that's what I, I need my children to watch this, this, this video. Uh, it says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then it says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't make them mad, don't make them angry. Don't frustrate your kids is what it's giving this message to dads. It says, instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. I want to stop right there to make sure that you hear me. You know, there's no, there's no youth pastor in the Bible. There's no such thing as children's pastor in the Bible. That position does not exist in this Bible. That's a, that's kind of a 20th century thing that we've added. I love youth pastors. I used to be one. I love children's pastors. Thank God the Lord never asked me to become a children's pastor. Uh, But this is, this is important for us to, to get that youth pastor, children's pastor don't exist in the Bible. God gave that job to fathers, fathers. It says, don't frustrate your children. What would frustrate our kids? By not training them in the instruction of the Lord. You are guaranteeing your, your children a frustrating life when you don't teach them, when you don't instruct them in the ways of the Lord. You're leading them into warfare and they have no idea how to put on the full armor of God. It says, dads, don't do that. So it's important that we understand what God is calling us to do and that we're up against a very real spiritual enemy. I wrote it down this way. Whatever happens in your life, it's all in the spiritual realm. If you don't know how to navigate that realm, you're never going to win in this realm, in the natural, in the physical. It's the battles that are unseen that are responsible for the outcomes of, of the world that you, that you see. The battle exists on two fronts and we end up fighting the wrong war. We end up fighting with each other, not realizing that this is the enemy's plan for the beginning. The enemy despises unity, despises it. And his plan from the beginning is to get us to turn on each other. So the enemy wants you to live in the world of the five senses, what you can think and hear and smell and touch. He, he wants you to, to be able to fight what you can see and not what you can't see. But Paul is very specific that that world is where you're supposed to do your fighting at. So I want to give you, um, 
things that will help you to not just deal with the fruit that you're seeing, but the root that exists in the heavenly realms. Because otherwise you're gonna spend your time dealing with the cause and never finding the cure. So uh, in spiritual warfare, there are, there are warriors and there are victims. And you get to decide which one you're gonna be. That's gonna be up to you. So in Ephesians 6, it gives us a lot of things that we're to think about. But uh, as we're looking at practical spiritual, and that's a kind of strange way to say that, but practical spiritual warfare for a family, I wanna make sure that you hear this, that you can't conquer what you won't confront. You're gonna have to be willing to confront this in order to be able to see the victory come. So four times in this passage that we just read, Paul says the word stand, stand, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. And I'm so glad that he doesn't tell us that we have to advance. He doesn't tell us that we have to win every battle. He just says, your job is to just stand. Put on the full armor of God and stand. That word means to be established, to be balanced is another way of interpreting that. To be established and to be balanced and to be placed there. You know that God has put you in the right place. He's balanced you, he's given you what you need so that you can stand against a couple of things. The things he says to stand against are the evil day and the evil schemes. The evil day, the evil schemes. The evil day is more than just life's ups and downs, but this is when all hell breaks loose against your family. And my friend, I know this to be true. Either this has happened to you or it's gonna happen to you. But if you're a believer, if you have a family that is, that is uh, full of believers, you're gonna always have moments where the enemy is trying to come against you with his schemes and you're gonna have evil days when all hell breaks loose. What do you do? How do you, how do you stand against his schemes? And so as, uh, as I was reading that, it, it comes back into my mind as Paul is listing out these things. It's really about what your priorities are because bad priorities get exposed when evil days come. You'll figure out what your life is really built around when evil days come, when you get attacked. So I wanna give you some good priorities, things that you can prioritize in your day, eight things that perhaps you haven't thought about that are extremely important according to God's plan for your family. And the first one is this, you have to begin each day with humility. Humility, why? Because God opposes the proud, scripture says, but gives grace to the humble. That's James chapter four, verse six. So if I want God to pour out his grace upon this day, I have to, have to take my pride and put it in the background. So I start my day by saying, Lord, today is your day. I am your servant. My family belongs to you. Lord, I wanna thank you for everything that you've given me because I only have it because of your amazing grace. I'm only here because of your grace. This day exists because of your grace. And so I humble myself before the Lord every single day. I wanna make sure that no matter what, my day starts by recognizing who is on the throne and what my place is. And so I humble myself before him. I don't want God to oppose me because I'm full of pride. This may be the, the, the hardest thing for families to get over. The one thing that keeps them from ever really turning to the Lord and allowing God to do great things with their family is pride, yeah. pride. Well, I don't know if my family's gonna think I'm weird or this is gonna be kind of fruity. Like that keeps you from winning. Yeah. It keeps you from winning. Yeah. So I begin each day with humility. You know, uh, humble hearts are grateful hearts. And we can teach this to our children from the very first time that they learn how to talk. One of the, some of their first words after mommy and daddy and after yes and no need to be thank you. Thank you. 
You know, before my kids could even speak, we taught them sign language. And one of the most important sign language that we ever taught was our second word ever, you know, after mom and dad was, was this. Thank you. And if we would feed them, their response needed to be thank you before they ever got something else. Because it's more than just teaching communication to my children. It's teaching a spiritual principle of humility and gratefulness. They recognized where the meal came from and said, thank you. When you can recognize where your day has come from, where your next breath has come from, that's humility. And we respond to God by saying, thank you. Thank you, God. Here's the second second thing I wanna make sure that you understand. Every day I have to refresh my authority. Refresh my authority. That means I know who God has called me to be and I recognize who he is. You see, your life is a constant battle for the throne of your heart. Who's sitting on the throne? Is it you calling the shots? Is it culture calling the shots? Is the world telling you what you need to believe and who you are? Or does he call the shots? You're gonna have to make that decision every single day. It's an authority issue. So I humble myself before the Lord and I say, God, this is your day. I serve you. My family serves you. I only exist because of you. You're on the throne of my heart. And James 4, after he says that uh, that, uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble in verse six, the very next verse he says, you submit to God, then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Yeah. And here's the problem. We're, we're, we're all about resisting the devil. Yeah, I'm gonna make the devil flee from me. But you've forgotten about the key, which is submission. That submit to God part is key to making the devil leave, devil leave your family alone. Mm-hmm. Submission. Once again, it's a pride issue. Submit to God, then resist the devil and he'll flee. You know, the, in, the enemy's scheme is always to restructure authority. He always wants to get you in a place where you're, on, you're, you're taking control of your life, you're doing these things, and you're not, you're, you're not doing what God's asking you to do. You're doing what you think is best or what the world says is best. He's done this from the very, be- very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Let's get them to question God's authority. Did God really say that? Does God's word really say that, that you have to do it this way? It's an authority issue. So every day, one of the most practical things that you can do is to submit to the authority of God. Lord, I'm underneath your authority. If you have a pastor that's over your life, to recognize that that authority has been placed there by God and say, Lord, I choose to submit to the authority of your word and the authority of the people that you've placed over my life. I trust that they're gonna speak good things into me. It's gonna line up with your word. It's gonna be a healthy mix of what you've asked me to do versus what your word tells me and what the spiritual authority over me is telling me and your Holy Spirit. Um, it's, a, it's a big problem for believers when they're out from underneath authority. You get out of order and that's a problem. The enemy attacks your life when you're out of order. We need to be under authority before we can stand in authority. Amen. And that's, that's something that a lot of people don't wanna hear anymore. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Um, you're gonna have a hard time getting past a lot of these uh, words in this book uh, because God has a plan for your life, but so does the enemy and so does everybody else. So it's a matter of who you're under. So refresh your authority. Um, Here's the third thing that many families don't do that is critical in the life of believers. It's part of our discipline and that's yearly fasting. Multiple times in God's word, Jesus did it, Old Testament, New Testament, fasting was a key and central theme. You know, you might, uh, you might have heard that and said, oh, that's old school pastor. There's a reason why the enemy has run rampant in families. They've forgotten about the discipline of fasting. 
but learning to deny yourself and teaching our children to lay some things down for a time uh, for intimacy and direction from God, that's a critical life lesson for them. You see, we're raised in a society where you don't deny yourself anything. If you want it, you can go get it. Instant gratification. I can pull up my phone and find what I need immediately. God's word says stop. There needs to be a period of time where you stop and you deny yourself things that you think your body needs so that you can have intimacy with God. You can hear his voice again. And yearly fasting is things that families don't do that they should. From the, from the time that my children were little, when I determined that I wanted to build my family upon the, the, the timeless truths of God's word, and we worked in fasting to them. And it wasn't something where we asked them to fast from food, but I let my children decide what they were gonna fast from after we taught them what it was about. And it started at a, as a period of two or three days and maybe up to a week. We'd say, hey, we're fasting together as a family. Dad might be water only or you know, water and vegetables only or whatever I might be doing at that time. But I let them decide, what would you like to fast from? What would you like to lay down that you know that you like, that you think that you need in order to be more intimate with God? And I was shocked at the things that my children from a very young age would choose to do. They would lay down things like sugar. They would lay down things like the internet or video games. I wonder if you gave your children the opportunity to fast, what they would choose and what they would receive in exchange. Learning to deny yourself is a big deal. And yearly fasting is something that families just don't do anymore, but they should, (laughs) they should. It's never too late. There's there's not a time that you say, I have to fast right now. Uh, Because if you're waiting to fast until the day of evil comes, you're too late. (laughs) You're too late. Let's do this in advance. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand when the evil day comes. So we're doing this in advance. This is pre-gaming for what's happening now. Yearly fasting is one thing. Here's the fourth thing is where you guys aren't listening fast enough. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go faster. Teach generosity and tithing. See the love of money, the pursuit of things uh, is, is, is something that's really a hard habit to break for our children. We teach them that, that acquiring more stuff and having more money is the point of our existence when it could not be further from God's truth. So we teach generosity and tithing from the very beginning. We teach them that so that they won't be consumed by the love of money their entire life. How foolish it says, even Jesus says this, that to think your whole life is gonna be uh, wrapped around your possessions. You can't take them with you when you go. (laughs) So um, I I realized this in in my family's life when my son began to uh, get allowance or my daughter began to, to work and do these things around the house and I would start blessing them with money and their first response was, here's my tithe. Uh, we've, we've put that into the DNA of our family that we're not gonna be a family consumed with the love of money. And in the, in the process of that, God broke a generational curse of poverty that had always been on my family. We don't have to live like that. Why? Because we've learned how to honor God when we didn't have much. That's right. And God can bless you with more. Yes. So we break the power of generational curses by doing things God's way. So here's uh, number five. If you're moving, let's, let's move a little faster. Um, we have intentional relationships, not organic ones. You see, the world will tell you, hey, your friendships are going to be just organic friendships that happen. No, no, no. We don't do that in our family. We're very intentional about who we spend our time with. You know, there's an, there's an old saying that says, um, you are the average of your five closest friends. And I, 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 that's a quote from Jim Ron, but I think that's, uh, I think it's accurate. As I, look, as I look at my life, you know, at, at the times where I was the lowest, 
There's usually about four or five friends that I was right in the middle of doing the things that they did. And I didn't want that for my children. So I began to look for, for kids that, for them to play with. And I was intentional, like, hey, I, I want you to play with those kids. We're going to get around those kids wherever they're going. We're going to be around, because they're good kids. They've got good families. They're doing good things. They're, the, they're, they're raising a good environment. I want my kids surrounded by their five closest friends that are good kids. I never had that privilege growing up. Our, our friendships were just organic or, or it became something where you didn't realize how, how damaging it was until it was too late. But I think it's important that you, you get a chance at, at the beginning of your children's existence to, to choose their relationships, choose their friends, choose wisely. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. In other words, you're not gonna change them. They're gonna change you. They're gonna pull you down. It's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pick somebody up sometimes. But we have intentional relationships, not just organic ones. Um, here's number six, a build a culture of encouragement. And this is something that does not exist in the Hispanic world. Uh, Mexican, Mexican people, our Latino culture has nothing to do with encouragement. As a matter of fact, it's like our culture is built to humiliate and to humble people, never to encourage them. And so anytime somebody does good, the rest of the family will crowd around them and say stuff like, oh, now you think you're all bad now. Oh, now you're too good for the rest of us. You think you're all high and mighty. Like, instead of encouraging, like, wow, you made it. You did good. It's like, ah, oh, now you're conceited. Now you got a big head, huh? That's just the way it is. It's this culture thing of like, hey, as soon as somebody does good, the rest of us, it's our job to tear them back down. Right. And we have that issue. But that's not kingdom culture. Yeah, the right. kingdom doesn't do that. It says that we are to build each other up. We're to encourage one another. We're to, we're to force each other to get better. And when we foster a courage, an encouragement culture within our family, your kids will rise to the challenge. They, they see what's good and they want to run towards it because you're encouraging them towards the right things, not tearing them down every time they do something good. How, how foolish is that? We build a culture of encouragement. We look for opportunities to bless and to push. So we, we recognize the good and we reward it big. We do this uh, on birthdays and on special occasions. Um, we, we do something in our family called spoken blessing. I learned this from another pastor friend of mine where uh, more than just giving gifts or a cake and, and candles, um, but when we're about to pass out the cake, we will take turns and everyone that's, that's gathered to that birthday party will speak good things about that person. They'll tell them about moments that they shared that were special. They'll tell them about times where, where they were impressed or that they, they, that they recognized a good thing that happened in their life. Tell them what they mean to that person. And that's a big deal. Spoken blessing has become part of not just my family's culture, but our church culture. And we realize that you don't have to wait till somebody's dead at their funeral to say nice things about them. I told somebody one time, like, you should live your life so I don't have to lie at your funeral. <laughs> like, I want to be able to say nice things uh, before you're passed away. Yeah. But our, our families don't do that. And I think it's foolish. Yeah. That gift of encouragement can, can do incredible things yeah. if we build it into our culture. Here's number seven, to recognize privilege. We have to prioritize that recognition of privilege. We are very extremely privileged. How do we do that? Um, I've done this several times with my family, but um, we, I took my children from a very young age on mission trips with me to third world countries. I've taken them to homeless shelters. I've taken them to, to, to visit those that were less privileged than us and let them get a good worldview of how the rest of the world lives. And when I, I remember taking my children to Nicaragua and we had just landed and uh, it was a horrible flight by the way, but uh, that's for a different story at a different time. But taking, uh, taking a bus into the city and and just letting them see what it's like in a third world country that's living below the poverty line and letting them experience that. I didn't have to say anything. 
I remember just watching their faces, their eyes lit up as they see these children with no shoes and no clothes and disease and all the things that are happening as they can't get water or they're, they're, they're infested with all kinds of, of, of crazy things. And I remember my kids are, 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 are four and six or six and eight, somewhere around that time period. And I, and I remember my son looking at me and said, Dad, are, are we rich? <laughs> we must be really rich. I said, yes. <laughs> In comparison to these people, we really are. We've been given a lot. And it's important that our kids have a well-developed worldview of how blessed they are. Because otherwise they'll, they'll start feeling entitled. Like the world owes me something. No, you've been blessed. Why have we been blessed? To be a blessing. To be a blessing to somebody else. As God gives us, our job is to give it away. And we recognize the, the greatest privilege that God has given us. You see, our, our, our greatest privilege is not that we were born in America or that you're born white but that we're born again. What an honor. What a privilege that God would look at us and see something worth dying for. And when he's given us grace and peace and favor, our job is to be a blessing to those who have less than us. And it's important to teach our children about the privileges that we have and how blessed they are. Here's, Here's number eight, and I'll finish up with this, and that's family prayer. And this, I feel, like, I feel like most families drop the ball there than with anything else, yeah. prayer. Yeah. Now they'll say, oh yeah, we're a praying family, but when you actually get to, uh, when's the last time they prayed? It's always, I prayed silently, and you know, I, I prayed on my way to work. That's, that's not a priority of prayer. Yeah. That's if you have time and if I think about it. But I wanna give you a challenge today to make prayer not your last resort, but your first priority. Prayer is our first line of defense Mm -hmm. against the evil days and the evil schemes. Building prayer into our culture. And here's the thing. Um, It says, don't just pray, but pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit so that you can take your stand against the evil. You know, um, I'd never really thought about uh, praying for my children until you until you go to tuck them in at night, and I still do this. My my both of my children still live at home just for the maybe at any time they could leave. But my my son is about to be twenty one. My daughter is graduating from high school this week, and uh, I know that my time with them is limited. I'm very quickly becoming uh, we're going to become uh, empty nesters. But I want to make sure that every single night I will not fall asleep until I've prayed with every one of my kids, and I do this out loud. And we've done this from the time that they were born. But we've built prayer into our culture. We're going to pray together. And I don't care if you had a good day or a bad day or something in between, we're going to pray. I don't care if things were great or not so great, we're going to pray. Every day ends with prayer. And I've learned that the leadership that God has given me over my family is only as good as my prayer life. And I've built this into their culture where they can pray. We've got praying children. And that's critical in the lives of of believers. So I want to I want to give a prayer challenge to to moms and dads, to men and women. Uh, I'm going to give you this um, men. I want to challenge you to pray out loud with your wife. You go first. You lead the way. You see I found it, we have a strong men's ministry here. I found some of the greatest mistakes that families make is either men that refuse to lead or a wife that won't let them. So I want to challenge you, man of God, to pray out loud at night with your wife. You go first. You lead the way.
It doesn't matter if you stammer or stutter, you're not sure what to pray, take a faith step. Take it as a personal challenge. You lead the way. Pray out loud with your wife. Fathers, I want to challenge you. Pray out loud over your children. Lay your hands on them. There's something that happens when, when fathers lay hands on their children. They, they put their hand on their shoulder, or put your hand on their head and begin to pray over them out loud. Silent prayer is not going to do you much good. Speak it out. Speak life over your children. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this child. I thank you for the gifts and the destiny and the purpose that you have in store for them. I pray that they sleep well, whatever it may be. Lord, let them have good dreams. In Jesus' name, amen. It doesn't have to be complicated, but you need to do it. Men, I want to challenge you personally to pray over your wife first. Pray over your children first and watch what God can do as you take your stand against the evil day and the evil schemes. Ladies, moms, I want to I challenge you personally to let your husband lead you in prayer. Let him lead you. Let him lead. And as soon as he's finished praying, you join your faith right in there with him. You say, that was good. As he's praying, say, amen. Yes, so be it. Good. You, you, in agree, you be in agreement with him. You start encouraging him as he prays. It's difficult sometimes for men to lay down their pride and to take that step into leadership in their home. But ladies, encourage him. Push him. Push him like, this is good. Yes, right on, right on, right on. If he starts st- stuttering and stammering, uh, say the word that he's trying to come out with. Help him. But this is how we support each other as we're taking a step of faith into reclaiming what the enemy wants to steal from you, which is your connection with God, the authority of your family. Let him go first. And as soon as he's done, then it's your turn to pray. And you echo back everything that he just prayed. You second it. You know, that's what that that word amen means that we close every prayer out with. It's it's, so be it. I agree. That's what that means. And so let your amen, let your amen finish out your husband's prayers. As soon as he prays, amen, so be it. Yes, absolutely. That's good. I agree with that. Let your husband lead in prayer and let your prayer complement and support his. And then uh, as, uh, as, as you come together as couples, I want you to, to, to put this as the filter over your family that we are gonna recognize and support any step of faith. Yeah. Any step of faith that my family has taken. If they're praying in response, that's a big deal. I'm gonna reward that. What gets rewarded gets repeated. Yeah. So let's reward the faith steps that our children are taking and watch as God gives us strength to take our stand against the evil day and the evil schemes of the enemy. My friend, the enemy has a plan for your family, but so does God. And when you choose to fight his way, no power in hell can defeat you. So I wanna encourage you, take the challenge for your family. Fight for each other. Fight with each other instead of against each other. Great families are built and this is how you do it. I wanna challenge you to put in the work. If you liked what you heard today, I wanna to encourage you to click that share button. It means a lot to us. Uh, comment, let, let us know what stuck out to you. Did you enjoy something? Let us know, it means a lot to us. And then lastly, I wanna just speak to those who may have never asked God to come into their heart. Have you never asked God to forgive you of your sins? I wanna help you do that. Right where you are, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And I wanna encourage you to pray this with me. The prayer goes like this, pray with me. Just say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you came, you died, but rose again so that I could have life and forgiveness for all of my mistakes. I invite you to come into my heart, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of all of my sins. Save me. I give my life to you right now in Jesus' name. 
My friend, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm so incredibly proud of you. I would love to connect with you. The easiest way to do that is by text. So right there on your phone, can you text the word, I prayed, all, it's all one word, but I-P-R-A-Y-E-D to 94090. That's the number, 94090. Text me and let me know. Just say, hey man, this was me. I'm gonna send you some things that will help you understand what just happened in your heart and what to do next. It would be my greatest privilege to help you do that. For everybody else, I'm believing God's best for your family. I hope you have an amazing week. God bless you as you go. Have a great day.